Today's podcast is with a world champion athlete. Hank McGregor is a real legend in his sport, having won more events than anybody in history. We're going to be speaking about the different disciplines he's involved with, a little bit about his influence from his father on a young age and how he plans to influence his children. We're going to go into his diet, into his training routine, and a little bit about how he lives and operates here in Beluto, South Africa. Hank, welcome and thanks so much for joining us on the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Good to see you. Um, I want to start, kick off with just tell us a little bit about your sport and tell us a bit about the different disciplines. You know, you hear about paddling, canoeing, rowing. It's a bit confusing, um, but just give us an, in a nutshell all the difference. Uh, look, there's, there's quite a few. I found out when I went to the World Paddle Awards um, that there was 15 different disciplines of paddling, which I'd never heard of. Um, but uh, the main ones that we'd sort of deal with in South Africa is we've got uh, surf ski paddling, which is pretty much an ocean racing kayak. You do it in the sea, um, so that would be classified as surf ski racing. And then um, river racing, which is pretty much taking a canoe um, which is 5.4 meters long for an individual boat um, down rapids uh, pretty much I would say the most common event would be in Durban would be known as the Doozy Canoe Marathon in Cape Town would be the Berg River Canoe Marathon um, and then we have uh, flat water marathon champs which is uh, we classified as, as flat waters so it would be uh, you either do marathon or you do sprints and the sprinting aspect is what you'd see at the Olympic Games and the marathon aspect is uh, senior men, for instance, do 30 kilometers with uh, the different, I think about seven, depending, depending on the course, seven or eight portages where you've got to like, jump over an obstacle, run 100 meters, put back in. And they do it on like a three and a half meter, a three and a half kilometer lap. Um, so it's quite a cool uh, thing for the crowd to watch. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of people always get confused with um, rowing and canoeing or the difference is rows you face backwards mm-hmm. um, to go forwards whereas we face forwards to go forwards and we have like our controls at our feet um, and uh, yeah we pretty much you steer your own boat uh, whereas in a lot of times in um, in rowing obviously the cocks would steer the boat right at the back and uh, yeah we I would say that's pretty much I'm not sure with regards to the events that I would do. Um, there is other events like um, fun playing in plastics was down, down rapids where you see the guys doing like flick flacks and stuff like that in big white water and um, <clears throat> shooting waterfalls and stuff. And then, um, and then there's the slalom event, which is quite a pointy looking boat. It's got no rudder, got no steering mechanism and... Uh, you go through like these gates, they call them gates, down like a man-made course, um, and that's another discipline. It's actually one of the most popular sporting of watched events in the Olympic Games. I think it was ranked fourth um, of the highest uh, sort of with regards to uh, spectator friendly. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much the what you if you had to find um, the padding aspect or different disciplines in South Africa. But the slalom is very small, even though it's an Olympic event. Same as the sprinting. Um, which is pretty much uh, like an oversized swimming pool going down the lane. So a lot of people don't enjoy it because it's quite a, a lonely, uh, lonely sport and uh, it's bloody tough. Mm. <laughs> um, whereas the river racing is a lot of fun and uh, surf ski racing is a lot of fun because you're in the ocean and uh, yeah, a lot of the, it's like a family friendly sort of events. Um, surf ski and river those are the two main ones you do um, yeah and I'll, I'll say flat water I've done the sprinting circuit um, I did it for you said the marathon's 30k how long is the sprint sprint ranges between 200 meters and 500 meters and a thousand meters those are pretty much the for for senior men at the Olympics is a 200 and a thousand mm. um, and then I think women's only a 200 and a 500 okay so, um, yeah, and it's, it, it's held on the rowing course. So it looks exactly the same as the rows do, pretty much down the same lanes. Looks like a giant runway, and uh, except we're facing forwards and they're facing backwards. And there's always been this thing between rows and, and canoeists or paddlers because it's like who's faster. Um, but the eights definitely can go at 2,000 meters, whereas on a short stuff, we're quicker. So, yeah. Yeah, and you can go on your own, which is... 
yeah, like practical, you know. Yeah, so we can, whereas in a single skull, you'd have to steer with your oars. It's a little bit, I mean, uh, and they're super narrow and you sit on top, whereas a canoe, you sit inside. Mm -hmm. so, or I shouldn't say canoe because internationally, it's, we would say we kayakers. Okay. Um, canoes is like an Indian kayak. Uh, it's an open uh, frame boat hull. And you normally paddle with one arm. Yeah, I'm picturing like those things that do yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's pretty much where it came from. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's where, uh, uh, like a high water, or they always came with that, you know, uh, different sayings or whatever. Pocahontas would be paddling yes. with one. That's pretty much a canoe. But in South African terms, we say we canoeist. Mm -hmm. But if you go overseas, you say canoeist, they'd be like, but you kayak. So yeah, that's where it's a little bit uh, different. And tell me, surf ski, how far do you go there? Like, what's the average race distance there? International circuits, your ranges between 20 to 30 kilometers. Um, and there's some uh, longer distance races. Um, like a signature race is the World Open Ocean Championships, which is in Hawaii. So you race from one island to another. And uh, it's 52 k's. So you 52. pretty much can't see the other... This, the other island when you start you're just like paddling offshore um what like, would 30 k's take you in the ocean i mean it depends obviously on the conditions yeah, of course so, but like on average so so the ocean racing is pretty much um based around downwind racing which is like surfing out at sea um the waves are actually bigger sometimes out at sea than which actually get that break on the beach mm. um so we pretty much catch those waves out at sea um for the, the length of time, the distance. Um, so if the wind's really cranking, you could probably do 30 k's in 30, an hour and 30 minutes, if you if you know what you're doing. So if the wind's pumping, you go faster? You definitely go faster. Okay, because yeah. you and you're always gonna go with the wind. That's what the races are, yeah. Okay. Going into the wind is like, that's terrible. That's yeah. just head bashing, it's like, Paddling upstream, mm. pretty much, um, if you think about it that way. Um, so yeah, going downwind racing is um, a lot of skill involved, yeah. and um, obviously knowledge of the ocean, and obviously the conditions, and they change, you know. So um, that's the one thing I really enjoy about surf ski racing is that you can paddle in the same place every day, and it changes. It's not like a swimming pool, athletics track. It looks exactly the same no matter what happens. <laughs> so it's not going to change. Whereas you know, ocean, the currents change, the tide changes, the surf size changes, and the and the wind. So which makes it fun and enjoyable, and uh, and uh, I guess you don't get bored. Mm. Balancing your life, okay. So you were just telling me now you've got a full time job, um, professional athlete. You know, I would never have thought that you would have to actually have a job. Um, so I was actually quite surprised when you were telling me what you're doing because um, you know there's a lot of time and effort that goes into becoming a world champ or the best in your sport you've got to I just think about like the training that I see here in the facility and you be preparing your training session you're sleeping you're eating there's so much that go the detail that goes into it right. you, you must have a ridiculous schedule you know uh, I just don't know how just explain a little bit how you balance the time to you know, train, family, work, put in your meals? Um, I don't think it's as hard as everyone makes out it to be. Um, it's just time management, you know, and, and what you're willing to to put yourself through. You know, if you see it as a chore or something hard or as your family as like a burden, well, then I, I guess, yeah, then it, it will be. And um, you're going to have to sacrifice things along the way. Since I've had a family, um, yeah, I've sacrificed a lot of other stuff, like time off, if you want to put it that way, because um, you don't have uh, you don't have this just a whole day that you can train. And I, to be honest, I've sat with enough Institute of Sports, different um, different bios and <laughs> different uh, sports science and um, facilities, and and pretty much you can only train so much before it's actually more damaging to you than uh, than actually going to improve you in the long in the long term um, so recovery is a big big aspect and I think one of the hardest things for me is to always take my foot off the pedal um, you know it's when you when you see results you just want to train harder and um, and obviously that takes up time and now all of a sudden you've got like a family um, that you've uh, 
that you actually want to spend time with. So you don't want to be doing that extra session because the first session you did this morning was like sort of like an easy one. You like, do I really need the easy one or should I just bang that one solid and then I banked it now instead of having that second session for the day, I've uh, got time with the family. You know, mm. so for me that's that's how it's sort of gone along the way. And um, yeah, like I said, I've spent a lot of time with different uh, sporting institutes, and they told me my sell-by date was long time gone, um, and that was in my early thirties. And um, I guess eleven world titles later, they're the ones that are asking me like, "How did you do it? And what do you think about? It? And how do you keep yourself motivated?" And uh, I think family helps in because your kids want to see you, you know, obviously succeed and uh, want to see you happy and they get to stand on the podium when you win. And uh, so you feel like you've got extra motivation now, even though you maybe you don't have all the time in the world that you used to have. Um, yeah, maybe you don't think about it so much. A lot of uh, athletes maybe overthink things. You know? mm. At the end of the day, you just got to get out there, do the best you can. Um, and then uh, hopefully that's good enough. The question that I've always asked and been asked by people is, um, how do you know if you're good enough? You know, like what, what is there like signs that tell you along the way? Um, is there like, can you go get tested to see if you've got the right engine? And uh, I've been tested from bloods to hearts to ECGs, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and uh, yeah, like, I wouldn't say I'm anything more special than the next athlete on the start line. Um, so I, don't, I haven't said like you've got an extraordinary high lung capacity or VO2 max. I do, max I do have a, I do have a, a really good VO2 max. I've been tested on a rowing machine, a, a treadmill, a bike. Um, they didn't want to test me on a paddling machine because they felt like it was... Unfair advantage. Unfair, right. So they tested me on those and uh, I was pretty much really high up. Um, but I wasn't like oh my god like I'm an alien mm. you know um, but yeah I do have an abnormal size heart but that's because of uh, excessive training and um, pushing the limits and um, so I've got to be careful of if I just stop tomorrow um, I would have some serious problems because my heart's a little bit too big but um, it's so a, how does it's that complicate things? it just means that um, I get to a certain level um once I start hitting like 165 heart rate, mm -hmm. 170, my heart doesn't go up so much anymore. It starts coming down, but just because the body seems to adapt to that loading, um, and that's just from training. It's just and from that's being an advancement, in that zone. surely. Yeah, because yeah. so like you if you if it. your lactate threshold's like at 170, which would be low for you, I suppose, yeah. but your heart's not even getting there. You could never build up lactate then. Well, that's the theories behind it, yeah. So that's where the institutes love stuff like that, huh. and they uh, they enjoy it, you know. So um, it's not a danger for you though, having a no. extraordinary large heart no, or a larger heart just, than normal. I asked, how did I get it? They said, look, you had to have a gene. My dad's a really good athlete. Um, he's also got a big heart. He's also pushed the limits. And how much bigger would you? Th I mean, did they say? They should. Uh, I mean, I had a, I saw a scan like I think it was two years ago, um, and uh, it was. Looked a little bit deformed. I mean, it's not a pretty thing to look at in the first place. Doesn't but you can see them, the 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 actual muscles around the heart itself is it, it's enlarged. And mm -hmm. like the doctor still said to me, um, uh, he he laughed because he said he's always wanted to see what my heart was like because he's a paddler as well. And mm -hmm. and, uh, and he just he, the funny part he said if I didn't know who you were, I would say we're in trouble. Um, but he says, because I've known you since you were a kid and how you've grown up and, and what you've done in your life, he says, okay, it's now it's all, you know, it's like the puzzle fits. Yeah. Um, but he says, I would be worried if you walked in the door here and it would be like, okay, we've got problems here. We need to sort this out. But he says, it's just, you've got an enlarged heart, but you've trained it to be like that. And, um, and I, I, don't know, I guess... It makes know, sense of volume because, I mean, you didn't just start training in the last 20 years. I mean, no. you've been training for, what, yeah. how many uh, I first started uh, paddling when I was six, um, so so yeah, we're into the the thirty five um, aspect of years yeah. of training. I can believe that'll grow a heart. So, um, so yeah, so that it's 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 been cool. Um, like I said, I got into uh, paddling pretty much because of my dad, um, and who knows what I'm gonna get my kid. My I got two boys, so we'll see. 
So before we get on the topic of, you know, the influence of a father on a son, because I think it's very a, a good topic to chat about, let's quickly go back on to how, um, what did I want to ask you now? I wanted to ask something about the work. Yeah, look, I, I, I mean, It was the mindset. Yeah. So let's talk about the psychology of the mindset of, you know, it's not your only thing, sport. Because right. I think that was a really good point that you brought up earlier. Yeah, that's you, true. You know, there's a lot of professional people that will dedicate their whole lives to one thing. And if they don't make it in that one thing, they're totally lost because their whole identity is that specific sport. 100%. And, you know, you were saying maybe it's a good thing that I've actually had yeah. to work for a living as well. For sure. You know? Um, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's the truth. I, st I started working when I left, uh, left school and uh, pretty much to enable myself to, to be able to race, which was my passion. Um, it was never just to compete, it was, it was to race to win, you know. So um, for me that cost money, so um, sort of working in the family business, we've got a construction company or we hire out big excavators to civils companies or construction companies. And um, yeah, I sort of started working like as a basic mechanic when I was young, um, but then I could still train in the morning mm. or I could train during the day. Um, uh, and I guess, yeah, I think the thing about an athlete is that we, it's quite a selfish sport. Um, uh, well, I should say athletes in general are selfish because it's all about us and, um, and, and where we want to go and which podium we want to stand on and which medal we want to take and title we want to hold. Um, so from that aspect, yeah, it's quite a lonely road because you don't always get to share it with everyone. And... Um, and you only think about that, and then all of a sudden, one day, it's the the titles have gone, and uh, the records have been broken, and you you don't have the same sponsors anymore that are paying you, and all of a sudden, you left with an empty bank account and like nothing to show for it, other than just a lifetime of racing and memories of your memories, not necessarily everyone else. So, for me, I guess racing was one part of my life, and then working was the other part, and I couldn't do. Just one, I had to do both. And uh, maybe in another country I could have, um, which I know a lot of the other guys that I've raced against, that's what they do, they're professional and, and it's great, you know. Um, you can still have a professional um, mindset as an athlete, but it doesn't mean it's the only thing that you do that whole day. You can still study or race or, I mean, or work. And, and you can work before training and after training. Mm. It's just time management, you know. Whereas an athlete, we almost want to make the excuse that we have to, just be an athlete because it's impossible not to make it uh, without just being an athlete. And, yeah. um, do you and think it's like a draw card and, or do you think it's just an easy way for us to identify with something? You know, if you think of growing up in the developmental stages we go through, figuring yeah. out like our egos and, you know, yeah. our, our whole persona really yeah. is an easy thing for us to do as human beings to grab onto that identity and, and, and hold on to it as, hey, I'm you know, Dwayne, the rugby player now. Because right. just going, thinking about it now, um, I was chatting with Pete and Butch the other day and right. they were saying they're trying to go into the Sharks camp and get the youngsters to come and teach them property because right. they were finding a lot of guys in their generation, um, they came out of rugby and then they had nothing. Exactly. And they were lost, you know, and they right. didn't, and a lot of the guys fell into depression. A lot of them just, you know, went really off the rails because right. you go from a lot of, stardom but you also you your whole identity is just shaken upside down and you don't 100%. know who you are and you, no, you can't associate so you know with normal people when you it's say so normal true. like civilians right and i've seen this too in um with military guys right. um you know my father my friends the guys that have been to the military i've seen when they come back they bet they they'll say like civilians you know yeah. and like talk of other people as civilians because i'm like listen we're all normal we're all people <laughs> it's just let's, let's bring it down and let's try and see how, why you feel so different right. you know and you know i think um just listening to you uh you've really balanced it out very well with having family and work and this all together so you don't have Maybe it seems like it now. Maybe yeah. you're not always the case, but definitely not. No, it's not. I would say it's easier just to say it. But uh, yeah, it's it hasn't been an easy road. Um, and if I had the choice, I probably would have definitely taken the option of just you know big money, cash, being sponsored and stuff like that, and gone down down that route. But I think you don't. I don't think I would have hung around 
uh, I wouldn't have had the same passion about the sport or or the same want. It would it would be all about what I can get out of it, um, and not maybe what I can participate or during that time. You know, mm. and I think that's why I've stayed around and I've actually really enjoyed it. And I've done my ten thousand hours, if they want to put it that way, um, on the water. So uh, so yeah, I've, I've it hasn't been easy, but um, I definitely can't say that if I had to go back and choose it all again that I wouldn't have chosen the same path. Yeah. So yeah. That's good to know. And training here in Belito must be good. I think um if you could so choose another area. Yeah, we're you? so fortunate to from from a from a sporting sort of climate to be able to train twelve months out of the year. You know, when I I look at my European friends and opposition that uh, especially with social media nowadays it's so easy um, you know they they have to go indoors. They have to try and like train with regards to like ergos or other machinery. Do a lot of gym and stuff like that. Whereas um, I can get out and actually still paddle. I mean, winter in Durban on the on the north coast can't really classify as winter, you know. Um, with regards to if you had to live in Cape Town, I mean, it really there is big season change there. Whereas Durban, it's pretty much the same weather. It's just the swell gets bigger or. Um, it rains a little bit more here and there, or it gets really hot. Um, but there's no excuse why you can't get out there and train every day. Mm. And I think that's why I've really enjoyed living on the North Coast or living up in Durban. Yeah. What's your favorite race here in South Africa? If I had to choose a race, um, I love all races, to be honest. I just love racing. Um, I'd say the Cape Point Challenge has been a special race to me. Um, it's an ocean race. You race pretty much um, all for... For the person that's not too clued up with um, with what's the most southern point of, of Africa, you would say going around Cape Point would be the two oceans. Um, it, it definitely feels like it's two oceans. Um, the water does get a lot warmer on the one side. Um, but yeah, it's 52 k's. You're racing from uh, Scarborough all the way to Fishhook. So you pretty much race around Cape Point. Um, unbelievable background. Uh, the setting's amazing. The water's cold. And um, yeah, just uh, one thing about the race is that if the wind's blowing in one direction, on the other side, it's the other direction. Mm. So you have to be the best of both. You can't just be a good downwind paddler. You can't just get lucky. You to win the race, you, you have be to be the best. And uh, and that's what I enjoy about it. You know, there's no like real shortcuts or anything mm. like that. You know, you you can't get closer than the rocks. So uh, pretty much, it's an it's a it's an it's one of those. Uh, bucket t ticking sort of races that we have um, in, in South Africa. So if I had to choose that, I'll say that it would be my favorite race. I've been there to the peninsula. I can only imagine how beautiful, I mean, it's a beautiful area. Yeah. So I mean, just racing, it must be awesome. No, no, it, it is. Uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, things swimming underneath you. And What have uh, you seen? Have you seen sharks? And I've seen many sharks in my life. Big sharks. <laughs> Big sharks. Like, what have you seen? Um, sure, when I was in Hawaii, I saw the biggest tiger shark I've ever seen in my life. It was as long as my ski. And I mean, I'm talking six meters. This thing was ginormous. I've never seen, I thought it was a whale shark. And then I, I realized that it was a tiger shark. Did it just and come under you? It was, it was, I was surfing downwind and uh, the water so clean there. Um, I just came over the top of a, of a bump, like a run. And I was going down like into the trough of this wave. And I suddenly realized that there shouldn't be rocks out here. And I just saw this submarine underneath me. And I just realized, geez, <laughs> that next 1K was one of my quickest 1Ks in my life. Eh? Yeah, so, you just don't fall off. Eh? No, no. But it was cruising. I wasn't even interested in me. It was just going for a swim. So, but yeah, I've seen lots of sharks, uh, lots of whales, lots of sea life. I've just uh, yeah, I've been really blessed with regards to training. Your background, uh, backyard of training is, is beautiful. You know, so. Yeah. We have got a good yeah. I've got lucky before as well. I've seen a whale shark off the coast of Cape Bartle paddling oh, out okay. just like on a little plastic, you know, Fantastic. paddling on the back there and dived in straight away to see. But it, they move quicker than yeah, you they, think. Yeah, they're quite know. quick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you do see some beautiful stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. And what about rivers? What's the most beautiful river race you've done here? Yeah? <clears throat> in South Africa, I'd say the most beautiful river is probably the Drak. Uh, Jack Descent, what well, we call it Jack Challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, it's up in Underberg. Yes, I raced uh, it on a 
bicycle. I was thinking that one. That's it's so nice because you can see the paddlers, the runners. Water. Yeah. I can imagine that being the best. So, I mean, the water's crystal clear. It's coming straight from the mountain. Um, can drink it's it. Just, yeah. The only problem is it's not always, there's not always water. Yeah. So, uh, there's no dam release or anything like that, which, um, which sometimes becomes very bony, you know, and that's one thing. If I had to choose between rivers and uh, and Sursky, I'd always choose Sursky just mm. because guaranteed water. You yeah. Know? Whereas um, being a heavier frame guy, you struggle when it's really low in shallow waters compared to the lighter small lighter guys. guys. Yeah. And what you obviously run then, right? You, you yeah, you have to like rock hop, run, oh, climb, clamber, do whatever you can, you know. Mm. And the lighter guys, their clearance is just a, a so lot, much more, so much more than yours. So they can get over those little hippos, as we call it, and mm. whereas you beached. Like a whale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'd say um, that was most probably the most beautiful river race we have in our country. Yeah. I think um, I'm, I must challenge myself to trying that one. I think that'll be the first one I try. No, for sure. Why not? Eh? Yeah. Wait for this good water and then go for it. Eh? I said to a friend of mine, I did the cycle with last year. I was like, let's try do this. We've done the cycle now. Let's do the running and the paddle. That fantastic. would be ultimate. So just wait for water though. You can check the water levels. And if there's nice water, it's fantastic. Yeah. I'm thinking if it's there's no uh, no water or if it's low next year I'm going to either do the run or I'm going to do the cycle so cycle's cool yeah no but I need Take to get it. my skills up a bit because I heard it's quite technical yeah. So, yeah it's yeah. good fun though so tell me about um, the father-son relationship what you've learned what you'll carry over with your kids what what do you what kids do you have you have boys girls two, two boys yeah. two boys two boys um, tell us the good the bad the whole <sighs> I don't know I think the 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 good part about having boys is that they want to follow their their father's footsteps, pretty much like um, like I did with my dad, and he was a, a triple. Well, in the old days they used to call it Springboks. So he had uh, his national colours in three different sports. So um, I've I've managed to get my national colours in a couple of different sports now. So that's been cool. Um, but uh, for me, it was growing up with him. Um, First is first, second is nothing, and third you don't talk about. So that's how we basically uh, grew up. My sister sort of bailed quite early uh, from the sporting uh, side of things. Once she was sort of getting out of high school, she was like, time out, I'm out of this competitive stuff. She was never the the competitive one in the family, even though she was like, I would say, the more gifted athlete. She just naturally could just rock up at a race, a running race, and get a metal colors or win the championships or something like that and she never trained or anything like that whereas i had to go and train and extra stuff before school after school um and and my dad was there to to basically push me yeah. so um for me growing up it was like if you've trained harder than anyone else in the world you're going to become the best in the world so that was pretty much how it started and um I don't necessarily want to do the same with my kids um, because it's it's quite a lonely road and uh, sometimes I didn't know the difference between uh, my dad being my coach or my dad being my father so I never knew which was talking sometimes um, and it was hard because mm. I was as a, as a coach um, from that aspect you're never actually good enough mm. um, you can always do more for your coach um, you can always you could have broken, if you break the world record, you could have, if you had touched or done this or strided or a little bit more or dived, um, you could have broken it by further. So from a coach side of thing, I could never, ever be good enough. Um, whereas the father side, he was, you know, I could, he sort of was proud of me for, through a lot of times, but um, I never knew which was talking to me at the end of a race. And um, yeah, so it was hard. I got left at a few races, you know, make my way home. Um, which was always, it's comical now, but when you're 15 or so and you get left down in Toti after a running race and you live in Hillcrest, um, it's quite a long way home to catch buses and stuff and no cell phones and those things. So, and I missed it by like a half a foot of winning the race, you know. Um, but he just, he believed a lot more in me than I did in myself. And I think that was always the, the question growing up is, um, how do you know if, if you are the next world champion? Mm. You know, where does it where's the signs or the signal or the bell that goes off saying, okay, you're going to be the next best? Um, there isn't. And you, you have to actually just believe in yourself 
as much as your coach does or hopefully your coach isn't a con man or, or con woman, I don't know, it depends. Um, and and that's, that's, that's the hard part. So for me, I don't, I would love my sons if I could for them to do something that they could have their own personal charisma that could be judged or your aura, you know, with regards to surfing. Um, you know, when Kelly Slater catches a wave, the whole crowd just is in awe and everybody's just glued to him surfing. Never mind the guy that's in the final behind him that's on the same sort of wave just behind. Nobody's looking at that. All the judges are focused on Kelly Slater, you know, and it's because of who he is, his aura about him, the way he is, the way he handles uh, media and stuff like that. And so from that, it's still, you're still classified as a world champion, um, but it's still a physical thing, but it's judged off your character and your moves, your skills. So if I had to say to them, listen, rather go there, mm. then do what I did, was just a start line or a finish line, and the person that crossed the line first, he wins and you lose, you know. So I chose that route, and um, my dad wanted me sort of to do that, and um, fortunately I, I did achieve, you know, when I was 18 years old, I won the World Junior Championships. Um, it was my first junior title. And uh, before we left to get on the plane to go to Sweden, he still said to me, there was all the team was standing there and everyone's like waving you off and taking photos and stuff. And he put his hand out and he says, good luck. So I was like, oh, thanks very much. And he says, um, here's the deal. If you win the world title and you break away, I'll give you the next four years of your life and I'll be able to, you can be a pro athlete, you can, you don't have to go to Vasti, you, uh, I won't sell every boat that you have, but he says, um, if you lose or you just finish with an end sprint and win it, he says, there'll be nothing when you get home. Cool. Thanks, Dad. So, and everyone said, hey, so what did your dad say? And what did you are they excited? So I was like, no, I don't want to talk about what my dad said. But yeah, um, it was almost like it was he had said, he had put everything on the line and for me through school and everything like that and done all the training. I was good enough physically. Now it was up to me to, to produce the goods when it counted. And uh, there was a lot of pressure and I, I didn't like that feeling. Unfortunately, uh, I won it by like four and a half minutes or something. I broke away so early it was like ridiculous. I think within the first two kilometers of the 20k race or 21k race, I was already on my own. Um, but I was like sort of paddling almost in fear, like that flat or mm. fight type of thing. And, and uh, yeah, so uh, from then on, I believe that I'll, I actually I could actually be the best in the world because I'm the world junior champion. Only thing now is to become the best senior in the world, and uh, and that was the next step up the ladder. So fortunately, I've after that, I've managed to win quite a few world titles, and um, yeah, brought them back to South Africa. Not for any big money or anything like that, but that satisfaction and uh, to stand and say that you're content, you know, about mm. your achievements. And I think that's a that's quite a big thing for an athlete to to actually be satisfied and actually say, you know. I've achieved everything that I could have achieved. Um, what's next? You know, and then set a new goal. But to actually reach the pinnacle in your sport, your chosen sport, is quite a hard thing. And yeah, and uh, I was fortunate enough to actually do it. And you and your dad now, are you guys close? Uh, we we we're still close. Yeah, we um, we've had our differences over the years. You mm. know, um, but you know, he's he's always been my dad. He's always been my coach. Mm. Um, even if he doesn't want to or, or not. Um, uh, yeah, he's 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 my father, and I've, I've I'll chat to him pretty much every day, and um, yeah, so uh, we've we've sort of now you know I don't know we've we've achieved enough with regards to personal stuff, and uh, now it's just a matter of enjoying life. You know? Yes, it's it's interesting looking back to think like did his psychological input in your life affect your results as a sports person? Definitely. Do you know what I'm saying? And so sure. if he didn't have that, though, would you be the man you are today type of thing? It's, hard, so it's a it's, hard one, eh? Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a million-dollar question, but it is a good question, yeah. Because, so. I mean, if it's all good things and you've achieved all the wonderful things that you have achieved and it's made you the person you are, you know, it's almost like, was he right in doing those? It sounds harsh. 
It sounds ridiculous. Oh, he sounds Russian. Like when you say it, I'm thinking, I was thinking of the Russian kettlebell guys and the guys <laughs> I've studied. It's like you're bleeding and it's just carry on going. There's no, you know. That's but then, then you think about the, the paradoxical um, sort of um, shift in thinking that you just mentioned with the sports scientist a bit earlier where they're saying less is more. Yeah. You know, and actually, you know, you should be in a no-stress zone. When you try, it should feel so comfortable and natural for you. Probably how you, it feels for you yeah. now when you rock up to an yeah. event, you're not even stressed, you know. Yeah. And um, you shouldn't be overtraining. You shouldn't necessarily train um, every day so that you feel sore the next day, you know. Um, and you got to train smart, like maybe um, keep your heart rate down for a couple sessions, train in the right zone, so you're not reaching the burnout and the lactate threshold every single time. For sure. Yeah. No, that, that like I say. Um that is something over time you learn. Mm. Um, but you got to do your apprenticeship, you know. And um, I think one thing I have learned is that everyone is different. And just because even in the same family, you know, just be if you get two brothers, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with my boys, but, um, you know, you, you don't always get two brothers that are identical in sports. Um, you do get a few, but... They, um, they're different mindsets, you know, um, and are the ones pushed each other to get that. And yeah, so I'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but um, mm. I don't really want my boys to necessarily go the same road that yes. I went, yeah, if I had that choice. Yeah. And how old are they now? My eldest is six, and my youngest is turning two at the end of the year. So, um, and I mean, in your six-year-old now, can you see athletic ability in him? Like you know, superior to other kids. It was know. hard to tell. I don't know. You know, like when when you're growing up, like to be honest, you don't walk around like a scout, like mm. looking at kids and, and saying, "Like, geez, I wonder if they're the next champion." Or yeah. Um, you know, and, you, and, you, and that's one thing I realized, like growing up, is that people, especially guys, they mature at different times. You know, so the big that's guys true. that were at school and stand at six or stand at seven or same size uh, now. You know, mm. yeah. And so they, you know, everyone catches up eventually. You know, you all mature to a certain degree and to a certain point um, in your racing career. You know, when you're hitting the 25, 26, 28, 30 year old, mm. um, there's no like, oh, he's young or he's old or you, you, everyone's, it's even Stevens. Now it's like who wants it more is going to win the race, you know. And, and that's, that's probably for me is, is my highlight, if, if I want to put it that way, uh, with sport, is to actually be on that start line mm. and look left and right and see who's, everyone's the best in their country. Everyone was the best in their family, the best in their school, best in, and, and they've all had that same sort of um, support you know, like, hey, you're going to be the next world champion. And now it's like, today, right now, somebody's going to get that. And why can't it be you? And I think that was, for me, those, those moments, I look back and they're like, I can remember every single one that I've lined up at. Yeah, I've got goosebumps as you're explaining and, it to me. I'm like, fuck, that must be amazing. And um, To know you're that good at one thing, that is, that is yeah, pretty no, special. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, and only, you know, in the last couple of years, like, you know, you've seen your heart rate at the start and you can actually see what it is and it drops off like there within that, when they give you a minute to line up and everyone's lining up, line up, line up, and they name you everybody's name from each country and number two, number five, number this, like, then come back, come there and the commentator's like, so then I get right there and then my heart rate is like, you know, it's at the lowest that it gets to because um, it's like where I want to be. It's mm. like you're in the zone. Like you, you're so focused. I can hear everything. You know, you, you're so sensitive to your surroundings. And where you would think that you would, your heart rate would be like flying. I don't know. Maybe other people are. But only, only recently, like I've gone back and actually, I wonder, you know, I mean, technology now, it's incredible. And you can actually, like, jeez. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's like, it's low, <laughs> you know, mm. when you're under the hundreds and stuff like that, and people, it's, and you, and you, you know, you've, it's going to be really, really good, you know, and, and you, you just, everything's in sync. And for me, it's just, I'm at my most relaxed because this is where I want to be. I've chosen to be here. It's not like I have to be here. I want to be here. Yeah. And now I'm going to get to show off all those training, all that hard times. Um, <clears throat> There's a book I've read, I think it's called Flow or Flow State or something like okay. that. Maybe you've seen it or read it. 
um, it's like a light blue book, but it okay. explains exactly what you're speaking about yeah. now, like yeah. with professionals inside their specific, yeah. you know, zo zone or yeah. uh, flow state. That's and that's just you so calm and in control. And like, but a normal person, when I mean normal, yeah. I'm not a robot or put me in there. A civilian. Yeah. <laughs> a civilian. A civilian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're stressing, you know. No, you We're the sharks. No, <laughs> I'm not going to balance no, this. You, you would be. No, no. Like I say, I've, I've been where they've actually, the one world championships, they had a heartbeat over the loudspeakers that went like, doo -doo, doo -doo, and it got faster and faster because they said they're going to give us a minute countdown and they started a heartbeat. So it just got, and then the crowd loved it. Mm. And, um, and then, yeah, you just embrace the moment. And I remember this always in, in marathon racing, coming to the last portage. It's normally within 750 meters or to a kilometer to the finish line. You have to jump out your boat, run with your boat, jump back in, like run through like sort of the crowd. And um, they always start playing the final countdown. And um, you can, the sound travels across water. It's unbelievable. And so you can hear it from like, I can hear the surface sometimes. I'm staying Madeline Drive here. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, it's at least 450 meters. You oh, can yeah. hear the surface. Oh, 100%. It's ridiculous. So, you can't believe. So, yeah. so you hear the music and um, I always like, got a smile on my face because this is when it counts. Mm. It's like, it's just like a movie and, and now they're playing the music and this is it. It's the final countdown and you just like, you could either freak out or, or you, you could embrace just embrace it, it mm. and you actually go with it. And there's been like lots of videos and, and I mean, because now with drones and stuff, everyone's filming and you can... Uh, it's amazing how like the drones and like you say with the watches at the heart rate, it's a different game now. It's, it's huge. It's huge. Science now. Yeah. And you can see and a lot of times I just, I got a smile on my face, you know, and it's like people are like, aren't you hurting? And you're just like, yeah, I guess I was, but um, I wanted this. You know, mm. I wanted to be there. And I, you can see the hurt and pain on everyone else's face, and you're not like you're a sadist, but you've, you've, you're not as bad as them, mm. and and you're gonna you're gonna win it. Makes you feel even better. Yeah, you, mm. you're gonna win it, and and that, that that it's like a it's like a drug. It's just mm. something that you you can't get enough of, and um, and when you like I say when you've when you've you've earned that ability, it's a fantastic place to be in, mm. and uh, yeah, I never would. Never want to take it for granted, and you never know when it's going to be your last time. So I really enjoyed the times that it has it has happened in my life. Yeah, congratulations on all of those achievements. Sure, it's like such a big list. I mean, I <laughs> browsed through some of them, and I was like, yes, there's just too many to even remember. Yeah, Alex will champion of everything. <laughs> but um, tell me, please, about the training routine that you and do you even have a training plan, or do you just wake up and be like, hey, I'm gonna, it's a good day. The weather suits me. Let's go surf ski. Um, yeah, so I normally, so I do like a diff couple of different disciplines of paddling. Um, so depending on which season it is, paddling for me is 12 months out of the year. Racing is 12 months out of the year. So I don't have that off season. Um, maybe because I'd get stale or bored, I can't tell you. Uh, but the major surski races, what I do is I um, take the event and sort of just work back to where I am now like to the current day and if it's three months or four months away then I can sort of put a program together make sure that you do the hard yards with regards to if it's a distance race an LD race like 50k's or something you know you're going to be out there for three hours or so you need to put the time in and work on different skills so you keep like you know you can always improve with regards to skills you can always get better like I hate it when somebody says oh, I can't get any better I'm not, you know and I'm like you can Everybody can get better. Who and, says that to you? No, like yeah. you've just you've you could you've like just talking to people in general. They're yeah. like it. It must be the equipment, yes. or it 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 must be um, a coach, or um, you know they'll never blame themselves. Yeah, it, 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 it was the conditions, or I got unlucky, or something like that. But um, you can you can always better yourself, and I think a lot of people, uh, especially athletes, have one. Um, the hard part is is to is to lose the next one, um, and they feel it's like a bitterness mm. that comes over them. Um, and for me, it's always been when I lose, um, it's it's almost like the greatest motivation day out because um, you get to analyze that race. You 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 sort of you see where you lost. Um, maybe I could have improved there. Maybe you could have done this. Chat to more people. You know you. Uh, whereas when you win, 
to you? I, I, I can't tell you all the races that I've won. Put it this way. I, I remember like there's, there's been some signature ones, um, but majority is just a blur. Whereas I can remember everyone that I've lost. And for me, those, that's what motivates me is, is, is not, not to retain the title, is, um, is, is to get the title back if you've lost it. Yeah. And, and, and the hard part for me is over the years is to, is to be the target of myself. You know, when you are world champion and you've won it two or three or four titles in a row or five titles in a row, like everyone's just talking about stats, will you become the greatest? Um, you, you've lost that, that sort of dartboard target face of your opposition and, and it's your face now. And now it's like, you know, I think the hard part for me was, is, is, to, is to keep looking at myself and try and find my, my faults. But mm. that's, the, that's the truth. Um, you can always get better. So even when you are the best in the world and you've won it quite a few times, you can still improve for because sure. um, you know deep inside like where your faults are. You just yeah. don't always want to acknowledge it. And, and you don't want to voice it to other people. Mm. You know, because, and, you, and you don't want to take criticism as well. So when you stand on the top of the podium, Nobody can criticize you other than yourself. Mm. And I think that's been something that I've come to terms with, that I can be better. So <clears throat> I only hold the world title on the podium. And that's how I've sort of gone through the last sort of 10 years of my life, is that when I step off the podium, um, I'm, I'm the same as the two guys that were on either side of me. Um, because they, they have the greatest motivation to be or win that world title next year because they came that close. Yeah. I mean, the guy's right here. Mm. And, um, and if you don't have that attitude that he has, um, you cannot lose. Mm. And, and I think you become complacent and uh, you, you, you sort of become arrogant. And, uh, and yeah, it goes to your head. Like they always say, you know, you don't come off cloud nine and it like, um, you still like, reminiscing about those days and you watch you can watch a video of oh geez I'm so good I'm so good and then all of a sudden 12 months goes quickly mm. and uh, you're back on that same start line and you don't have the hunger to 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 uh, to to become the world champion you're now defending your title it's a completely different mindset it's 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 a it's a terrible feeling because you have nothing to gain because <laughs> you really have it it's now you can only, there's only two things that can happen. You're either going to retain it or you're going to lose it. And everybody else on that start line wants it and you just want to retain it. So you just, you, you're on defense, whereas they're on attack. And if you have, and I think that's something that I've sort of come to terms with regards to keeping the attack mindset and taking away the arrogance from myself. And if you had to come to my house, you won't find the world titles. I don't have them hanging mm -hmm. around. Uh, it's... I don't have a shrine uh, yeah. of myself. Um, it's just, yeah, those, there'll be some medals there or something like that. But mm. uh, something that I've, I've definitely learned is that to, 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 to still retain or become or stay on the top, it's harder than to actually get to the top. Mm. And it's, I'm not being arrogant in saying that just because I've been there. It's just the fact that it's harder to make. To motivate yourself once you are the best in the world and, yeah i uh, mean like i've studied sports psychology and psychology and everything you're saying makes perfect sense you know and when you look at great sports people over the years you know i'm think as you're speaking i'm thinking of guys like mark tyson and um specifically um roy jones jr and these kinds of guys that have gone through these pitfalls yeah. and it's exactly what you're saying you yeah. know you just do on a specific cloud you probably didn't have that determination again to keep training as hard no. No. Um, let's just go back to the training so we don't get too deep into the right. psychology because we're going to talk too long there but periodizing that session so let's say you take a, a three month block you do all that yourself you periodize okay I'm going to train here, here and here yeah. and then is it only paddling or do you mix in some weight training Do you do, You said you do a lot of running as well yeah so the, the thing about um, paddling is depending on what event you're training for if you're doing like the doozy canoe marathon obviously there's a lot of trail running involved you've got to do a lot of tripping down the river is what we would call it you know um, scouting the river for different levels different channels um, so that takes a lot of time um, the actual hardcore training is obviously to to try and um, fit in the time or simulate the time that you would spend racing uh, um, 
So if it's a two-hour day or three-hour day, um, over three consecutive days, you need to somehow simulate that uh, to a certain degree. Um, so your body is going to break down. Um, so you don't want to do that too late, closer to the race. So, you, so like I said, depending on what events are coming up, I would sort of analyze my training and build it off that. Um, and obviously when you're doing a lot of running, um, it does break down your body quite a lot. Um, so from a gym aspect, you know, you, you still try and maintain your strength because um, paddling is a lot to do with your upper body. Even though your legs and your trunk and your core is probably super, super important just from stability um, and your trunk it's, itself to control your... It's not always just about biceps or anything. But you still need to have be physically strong. Um, and I think, you know, doing the basic sort of gym sort of workouts is... Is, is important, but it's not the only thing. And I think a lot of people, they either want to do one or the other. Um, you can do all of them, but just you know, either get somebody to help you or uh, base yourself um, with regards to don't arrive at the next day and still feel sore from doing something that you didn't necessarily need to do, uh, but you just decided to do it on the, you know, uh, on the last minute. And... Uh, and I think that's what happens with gym. People start doing gym, they get stiff, they get sore, and then it compromises the actual training on the water, and then all of a sudden they're like, okay, I'm not going to do gym anymore. And then they sort of like scrap that idea. Whereas I disagree, it's just, you know, build it up slowly so that you don't like sort of walk out of the gym and you're shaking and you're falling down the steps, for instance. You, you must do it so that it's, it's, it's your cross-training, it's not your only training. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's important, whereas a lot of people only want to do necessarily the sport that they're in, and they're not prepared to do anything else because they, they believe that the more time you focus on that event or that sport, the better you're going to get. Yes, to a certain degree, and no, you're not going to be able to strengthen your whole body or um, how, how would you say, uh, you want to become overall fit. It's you conditioning. So you condition exactly, your body exactly. to be able to handle muscle tears and at, a, at that level and obviously make your joints bulletproof because yeah. if you train the right way, 100%. you know, your body becomes better aligned and, you know, center core of core strength and good posture. That's going to put you in the best. It's, for it training. all helps, you know. So I, I, I get a lot of people asking me, like, what do you do for training? You need to find out what you need to do, you know, more. And it's it's not because just because I do it, that's going to be that's the blueprint. One thing you said that um just stuck in my head was simulate the event. So if your event was let's say a fifty six k, you know, surf ski race, would you do fifty six k's? Would you go and do that? No, not not necessarily. No, I would I would try and simulate the pace. It's of what the race is. So it, um, that's always hard when you're trying to break the record for instance mm. because you need to go faster than anybody's ever gone before um, so for me then it's a matter of doing maybe shorter sort of training um, but obviously at a faster speed than what I would probably race at or be able to have that mindset that you know I can slow down a little bit and by then by, the, by doing that I could probably last an extra 10 k's mm. so that's how I would train so I train definitely harder than I'll ever race okay yeah. how many days a week I do exercise seven days a week, um, training, paddling six days a week. Um, I don't do two paddling sessions a day. I've, I've done, sort of did that one stage um, and I just felt like I was like overdoing it. Like you, I didn't need to do, it was a bit of a waste session. So I do like either a run or a cycle um, or a gym and a paddle like on those days. I'll try and paddle six days a week and ultimately do a run depending on the time and obviously during lockdown it's always been it's been a bit different yeah. mm. and diet do you follow a specific diet <clears throat> i just try and eat healthy eh? i was okay. i remember going to institute of sport in cape town and their dietitian she had to give like what i ate and she just she freaked out she was like you have to be the most unhealthy athlete i've ever ever analyzed and tim noakes was standing and by next to me and he's uh, she still said like you know, if this guy actually had to eat properly, he'd become the world champion. So Tim was like, he is the world champion. So she was like, sure, okay, well, um, you'd win by further. So I said, perfect, Let me, let's see what happens. So I went on a diet, and within uh, a week and a half, I was five kgs heavier. And I just went back to drinking Cokes and chowing pies and eating bacon and eggs in the morning. And uh, 
I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think that diet is the uh, the most important thing. I just think it's all about fuel. It's just sometimes it's a waste of fuel. You know, some people are just eating stuff they shouldn't eat. So over the years, I've realized that this is important to eat, especially if you're going to race this amount of time, or this is a healthy diet. So follow that. Don't. It mustn't be a forced thing. And I think um, when you're young, you can pretty much eat anything, and you can still look good and and stuff. But as you get older. You realize that hey, you're starting to get love handles or this, or somebody's like, yes, yeah, you're not looking so cut anymore, you know. Um, and you realize, geez, okay, maybe I need to change my diet. So I think the the hardest thing about a diet is is not to say that I'm on diet or I'm following this. It must be natural. It's what I actually want to eat. You want to eat healthy because it's it's good for you. And at the same time, if uh, you're going to perform better, and uh, I had that sort of upbringing with regards to just. Eat what you want to eat. Just train harder, you know. And I believe that you can do both. You can still train hard and follow a good diet. So my wife's pretty healthy. So we eat good, uh, good meals, a lot of veg. Um, still eat red meat, uh, but it's not the only thing. Whereas before I used to eat like a lot of red meat, maybe uh, not so much pasta anymore. Uh, you know, maybe some potatoes and stuff like that. So different carbs, but I spend a lot of time with dietitians, and you you get to know what's healthy. And to be honest, everybody actually knows what's healthy. Uh, you Simple. just sort of try and yeah, I, just, I can have a little bit of this, or I can mm. cheat today, or and you give yourself a reason why you can do that. Um, or, and uh, and to be honest, I think yeah, it's 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 good it's good fuel. So if you want to be a really top athlete, you you need to eat well. But then. You can't follow somebody else's culture just because they come from Kenya and they've grown up with pup and this and stuff and they drink like tea with like 10 or 12 cups of sugar that it's going to work for you because you didn't come from Kenya and you didn't used to run to school. So you, you need to adapt to your culture as well. And I think that's a hard thing about racing internationally is to be able to, you can't take home with you. So you need to be able to adapt and uh, you can't be shy to eat something that you've never eaten before and because it might actually be good for you. Um, but a lot of people will never try that. And you see, you see when you're new on the circuit, they want to have mom's cooked meal at the World Championships the night before. But if you're in China, that's not going to happen. You know, you've got to learn to adapt and eat what's, what you uh, – and no food. I think people you need to actually find out what's actually really good for you and, and, and don't be um, – don't just be naive and just rock up and say, oh, what do you think? Is that, would that be good for you? You must know what's actually good for you. Or you must take some food with you or something like that. So that's think, how I've learned. Yeah. I think it's one of the most important lessons. You know, I mean, when I, I use the term diet very loosely, but it's been debunked, debunked you know, every single plan or diet or meal yeah. thing. You know, science can't, hasn't proved one right. yet. You know? right. no. and, and like you say, just eating what you consider to be healthy and enough calories for your daily movement is what's 100%. really what it comes down to 100%. you want to give your body the best fuel but you need to give it enough fuel exactly. and guys that aren't paddling and running and training every day haven't built up the muscle mass that requires as many calories as you do or that your muscles can burn that many calories and obviously you're using up so many calories right. in a day so you can eat more and, sure. you know and that's where the lessons should come in it was one of the best lessons i learned very young at 11 I was slightly overweight. I was like five kgs overweight. So I joined my mom on this thing called Weight Watchers. Oh, and okay. basically how Weight Watchers worked, it was a point system. Okay. And like an apple, for example, I can't remember the exact thing, yeah. but an apple was one point and a chocolate was five. And oh. you were only allowed 20 points a day. Okay. So already at that stage, I was like, okay, now what do I need to cut out? Okay, sugar. I don't need that to make the tea. 100%. Sugar out tea standard milk also yeah, that was another calorie that went eventually and you know it's just small yeah, things like that it, yeah. and you're learning it and it, it should be in the school syllabus i believe that and also simple bodily movements and bodily awareness you know so like how to exercise correctly in a balanced manner sure. and the different forms and types of exercise and the signs and symptoms of simple like overtraining and you know if we did that i think we'd have a lot healthier people definitely no for sure There'll be a lot more people to race against. Yeah. It's interesting that you don't count calories or you don't um, do these. A lot of the guys, especially in like sports like yours, where it's so sensitive to how much you weigh because, oh, you know, you've got power output versus weight, you 100%. know? 100%. So, no, no, for sure. Uh, like I say, it's... You've got it dialed in, though. It's you, like internal. You, you, yeah. You, you can pr feel you pretty it. much know and you know when you... Um, when you haven't eaten correctly, you actually don't have the same energy levels. Mm. 
or you haven't slept well. You can feel it. You've drunk too much alcohol Definitely. or wine or whatever. Mm. You can feel it the next day. So, yeah. so I'm always surprised by guys that can't. Like I'll speak to a lot of friends or even clients, but I suppose mm. it's doing it for so many years where you right. can actually feel when you're feeling good, healthy, you know, on top of that level. 100%, yeah. And you'll know, hey, I'm actually, you know, like, yeah, I've had too much wine or too much pasta. I need to have a juice now and exactly. cleanse this uh, juice and soup today, you know, we cleanse it. There we go. For sure. You'll have your own cravings. Yeah. That's it. Good but it doesn't necessarily mean that's one thing I've learned. Is what works for me doesn't necessarily work for you and vice exactly. versa. Yeah. So, and a lot of people just like force it and then they hate it and then all of a sudden they just stop and they just that's it time out i'm done they yeah. blow up like a blowfish you know? unfortunately it does go like that when you restrict yourself mm. from things the rebound is so much worse yeah. so it's a very dangerous thing you know and we're not giving advice here just no, like experience no for sure for sure but um yeah hank thanks again for coming on no uh, it's appreciate been, it. it's thanks been great you. having you yeah and i think we've got a lot of insight oh um, for sure hopefully yeah hopefully i can help them anyway yeah We'll have chat. To come to the gym sometime. Yeah, you, you'll have to. You'll yeah. have to. But thanks for the chat. Hundreds. Shot. Thanks.